Welcome, everybody, to our fifth episode of Think Bad, Do Good. And today, I am extremely pleased to have three immensely talented people from Harvard's Belfer Center uh, at the Kennedy School. We've got Maria Barsala Lynch, the Executive Director of Defending Digital Democracy, Robbie Mook and Siobhan Gorman, both senior fellows at the Belfer Center and key leaders at Defending Digital Democracy. And today, we are extremely pleased to have them on to talk about misinformation and disinformation because they have just launched a new misinformation, disinformation playbook. It's called Election Influence Operations Handbook, and you can find it at the links here below the video and on our website. So check it out. We're not going to cover all of it because it's immensely comprehensive, and I think that would probably take us like two hours. Um, so let me tell you a little bit. I'm going to brag about these people because I want to do that. Um, after the Russian intervention in our election in 2016, Harvard convened a group of bipartisan technology political leaders from across the United States, and really what, to my mind, is the most innovative and important effort to secure the digital integrity of our elections. And these three people have been such a key role, uh, such key leadership roles in this effort. And over the last, I guess, four years, over the last four years, D3P, as the group is uh, commonly known, has brought together folks from across the Secretaries of State from across the U.S. to do exercises. They've produced more than six handbooks, one of which I think Maria was translated into 10 languages through uh, through Democratic Institute. What is which ones? Who, who helped? Who did you partner with on that? Um, in collaboration with the National Democratic Institute and the International Republican Institute. Yeah. So it's like this isn't just for American elections. It's become a global global handbook. Um, and it's it's really remarkable. I, I got to attend one of them in 2018 and listen as all the secretaries of state and, and their staff went through these exercises. And it was such an incredible expression of talent and patriotism. So we're so pleased to be able to bring you these three thought leaders uh, and to have a really important conversation today. So um, the, our goals are twofold. We're, we're gonna talk to you about how to secure the electoral process and our democratic process against misinformation, disinformation. And it's really for you, the, the viewer, the citizen, but also we're going to talk to state and local officials. So there's sort of two audiences and a part of the conversation. Um, and uh, so let's get started. The first thing I want to do is let's talk about what it feels like. Like, what is a misinformation and disinformation campaign? What does it do to a democracy and what does it feel like? And I'd like to start with you, Robbie, on that. Yeah, well, I, look, I think it's important to understand, first of all, that a lot of this is being very deliberately promulgated by um, adversaries, right? So their interest is not necessarily in promoting a political agenda, like let's say different parties or interest groups in the US are, where they're trying to um, strategically advance uh, you know, a given set of things. This is, th this is adversaries who just want the US to you know, kind of turn on itself and to screw up on the on the global stage, for lack of a better term. And um, and so they're really looking for a bunch of different seams in society. Where are people going to get angry at each other? Um, and how can we create how can we sow distrust in key institutions? Obviously, our elections is the institution, right? Because our government runs on this, how we make decisions, right? There isn't an arm wrestling contest. It's an election. And that decides uh, who is in charge. Um, and so if they can create chaos around that, uh, it weakens us and, and strengthens their hand or gives them more space to do uh, the things that they want to do. 
The one other thing I would just point out is they tend to be predicated, most misinformation or propaganda for that matter, tends to be predicated on something that's at least partially true, right? So the people are open to hearing it. Um, mm-hmm. And in that regard too, it's a bit of a death spiral, right? If someone says, well, there's this aspect of the election, can we really trust it? And then they, they by, by spreading that misinformation, so more distrust, uh, create, make that even more true in people's minds, uh, and then it just it proceeds from there. So it's important to kind of stop the snowball early before uh, trust erodes entirely. Yep, that's a great point. So, um, Siobhan, what what do you think are the sort of most important things, Maria and Siobhan, all three of you? What do you think are the most important things that you would say to a state and local official in the event that a disinformation or misinformation campaign is unfolding? Uh, I guess a couple things. I mean, not all disinformation is created equal. So the first thing that you need to do is assess whether or not this is really likely to have an impact uh, on the stakeholders that you care about, which are probably the voters. Um, And if the answer is yes, um, there are a couple other questions around, is it gaining momentum? Is it sort of high volume that you're going to want to think about to determine whether or not you should respond at all? Because it's okay to say, no, we're just going to watch and wait. Um, We aren't going to, you don't necessarily need to jump into action because there is a risk that you could make it a bigger deal than it is. However, it is easier to uh, dial back your response than to dial it up too late. So this is a tough decision. If you think that there is a chance that it's going to grow, you should probably dive in and, and respond with the facts as quickly as possible and dial back if needed. So it's a very tough judgment call there. But uh, the first thing is you've got to determine what your response is, uh, or if you're going to respond, then what your response is, and then how it is you're going to deploy it. Do you have validators and others who can help amplify your message. So those would be the three things. Are you going to respond? What are you going to say? And then how are you going to get it out there? Mm -hmm. If you haven't started preparing today as a state and local election official, which is, I think is pretty rare, right? I would hope at this point, but yeah, exactly. Um, What is the sort of nudge that you would give to someone like if they didn't know where to get started, like what would be like, who should they reach out to to, to really begin moving on this? Uh, well, I, I can take that and maybe pass to Maria, but um, I mean, I think that they could, they can certainly reach out to anybody at, at the Defending Digital Democracy Project. Um, mm-hmm. There are also a number of states that have done an enormously good job at this. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I happened to speak, be speaking yesterday uh, on a weekly program that the Ohio Secretary of State holds to educate voters and uh, election officials about key elements of it. Um, I also learned that the Ohio Secretary of State's office, I think, is going to be doing um, some Facebook live briefings for the public and for media. Um, and so, you know, there uh, California has also done a lot in this respect. I mean, there are a number of states that you can also kind of look to to borrow from uh, so you don't have to feel like you're starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Maria. No, I think what Siobhan said is exactly right. And I feel, you know, in our conversations with officials across the country so far, there's also recognition that many officials may have already started to see mis- and disinformation incidents, even if they're still uh, adapting, creating a new response plan, um, which is in part what the playbook gets at is helping officials think about how do you build up or um, recreate your response plan. I think officials have already been starting to deal with with these incidents. So one, recognizing that you may already know more than you think, 
Um, and then leaning on collaborators, like Siobhan mentioned, uh, that that can help give you some resources or tips based on on what they've done to already start to identify and counter mis and disinformation incidents. Yeah. Maria, do you have an example of where you've seen sort of a, a great response to a misinformation or disinformation campaign where you can say that the state or this group of people succeeded? So I think um, there's a lot of examples. I mean, we've been lucky enough to talk with a number of officials across the country and in trying to put together this resource in the playbook, our goal was to really understand how are, how are officials responding to this now and then what else would be helpful in your response. And I think um, secretaries of state or election officials are getting really creative about when it's a high severity incident like that, where it's really gaining traction, it's evident that it's affected a number, a large number of people of uh, getting information out very vocally. So whether that's through Twitter, through a video that talks about why this information is false, um, I think we've started to see some creative things. And one thing I, I would add too, I think to your prior question, there are maybe two levels or two categories of disinformation incidents that election officials might be seeing heading into the election. There may be, a, you know, kind of the broader category of influence operations that are intended to stoke division, to uh, amplify political discord, to um, kind of really take advantage of a lot of the conversations we're already having as Americans um, and try to distort those. And then there are disinformation incidents and misinformation incidents that voters or officials are going to encounter that are specific to the election process. And I think our work has tried to help um, officials recognize those because they're in a, in a really good position to counter them and to okay. outshare accurate information. That's excellent. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, I, I think some of this too, uh, uh, Maria and Siobhan b both got to this. You know, some of this is really basic about both um, engaging, you know, having that that uh, basically that ongoing engagement with the media to begin with and then building relationships. We normally think of that from a public affairs perspective in terms of being able to get information out. But I think building those tools actually empowers you to kind of to stop a story later on if you need to. So, for example, my own personal experience with this um, we actually did an exercise in Iowa with the Republican and Democratic parties to prepare them for misinformation and hacking before the Iowa caucuses. Um, and then lo and behold, there were some problems, right? Um, and literally a, a fake news story had been put together that somehow I had built this app that was used uh, in the Iowa caucuses. And fortunately, I had some relationships with reporters that were writing about this. So for, again, fortunately, they were coming to me saying, hey, I got this quote from somebody about you building this app. I mean, that, that's what's crazy, that it got to the point where people were giving quotes about something that never happened. But I was able, because I had those relationships, I was able to, to bat the story down. People I didn't know would just go ahead and publish. They didn't even think to contact you. So I think it just, some of this to me really reinforces election officials like getting out there, engaging with the media, building those relationships. So when something that's, that's uh Again, the adversary is looking for stuff that's that's kind of interesting, snacky. It's going to spread. When a reporter has that, they're going to pick up a phone and say, "Is this really true?" And that's the ideal because then you just kill it in the cradle. What a great um, a, a great series of points. So it's one of the things that I love about your program 
is that you've worked so hard over the last four years to build these relationships between the, not just the states, but between technology professionals and folks in the media to have these kinds of conversations to prepare in advance. Um, and clearly, like right now, if, 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 if anyone hasn't done that, they should start going through the exercises at our company at Attack IQ. Like we believe firmly in exercising in advance. And that's what gets you ready. So I, I love that point. Now, what about for the average citizen, right? Like we've been talking a lot about state and election officials, but like how can how can the average viewer take steps in advance to, to sort of either calm their nerves or in some way participate in our democracy to make it the, the election more more secure? I, I personally, you know, um, think we, you know, in the same way with COVID that we're all having to look out for each other, be careful, wear a mask to protect other people and so on. I think it's important that people just protect others by being careful about what they share. I mean, maybe you just casually share something and think, well, I don't really care about that, but it's very interesting. Other people can research whether it's true. If you're sharing that and you're spreading that around, you know, some people aren't going to go, aren't going to be as critical as you. Um, and, you know, or you think it's sort of fun, you know, sometimes there's sort of a schadenfreude, like, look at, look at how stupid this election official is. I can't believe they did that. Well, maybe they didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to be careful about what we're sharing and that we're not actually helping bad people do bad things by spreading stuff around. And I think with social media in the last few months and years, we've kind of learned this, that people tend to pile on very quickly without getting all the facts. Um, and sometimes, you know, it really ends up hurting people. Yep. Yeah. In a way, I think it's almost like don't trust and verify. Um, you know, if it's on social media, if it's in, if it's in like a, a major media publication, you should still try to verify it. But I, I would just, I would have the 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 threshold for you know assuming something is true that you see on social media uh, being quite high uh, because you know people can quite inadvertently become. Uh, part of the problem very quickly. Um, and the other thing that I think that, you know, the public can do is make sure that when you are um, making decisions like, when am I going to go vote, uh, that you're consulting authoritative sources, you're just, you're, you're, you're looking to, you know, your, your county election officials or state, you know, election officials, uh, a, a verified authoritative source for information about what's going on. And, and if you're voting on voting day, then I would go ahead and check that morning before you go, because that way you'll know if there are, uh, you know, specific things that have just come up that you need to attend to or pay attention to before you vote. If there's nothing there, in, in all likelihood, things are proceeding as normal, regardless of what you're seeing on social media. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maria, do you have anything you'd want to add to that? Yeah, no, I, I would just add that as people start to better understand what mis and disinformation looks like, um, mm -hmm. to just realize that it, it's not just on election day. Um, you might be seeing these incidents before election day, during election day, and after election day, and following Siobhan's advice to be looking for verified authoritative sources of information like your um, election jurisdiction, election official, um, other kind of elected officials. You want to continue to do that if you're you're seeing mis or disinformation or something that seems like it might be um, even after the election. So that's I think a time frame of just understanding this is cyclical and it may not just be one day. This is a point I want to drill down on because I think this is something that folks aren't really thinking about. Is the period you know we're talking right now a lot of uh, before and during the election, but the, I want to get into the aftermath and also the idea of 
of not having the results as quickly as the American people are used to. I think that's really important. But before we do, I just want to flag one thing. This um, right now, this environment, unlike 2016, which had like incredible stresses associated with it during um, for its own reasons. Right. This one is, is even more compressed because of covid and the Black Lives Matter movement. And now for us in California, we've gone through these fires, like all up and down the West Coast, like the United States is in this period of acute stress and strain. And if I'm an adversary, I'm going to look at the country. And and as your handbook points out, like there's a whole bunch of really deeply ingrained historical sensitive touch points in American history. And if I'm an adversary, I'm going to say, oh, look, the U.S. is really running a fever of 103 right now. I'm going to try and push as much as I possibly can. So I wonder if y'all if y'all have thought a lot about like, how to sort of calm the American people down. Like the tactics that you're talking about are so important, but like maybe you're going to share something more quickly when you're stressed out, right? And during an election is stressful in general, but I don't know. Is this something you guys have thought about? You know, I it, it's such an interesting question. Um, I think that social media on the one hand has been an incredibly positive and powerful force in our political process, right? I think it empowers people to organize really efficiently and uh, get the word out on things and come together and build community, all those things. And those are really good. I think one of the challenges it's created is um, we just have a crush of information and sometimes we don't have a lot of perspective or context on it. And so I, I think in some ways for everyone, we have to, you know, the same way we want to make sure is, is something accurate. You know, we have to, I think, take a deep breath and say, what's important to me? <laughs> you know, what am I really going to focus on? Uh, what matters to me? Um, and what matters to the country right now? Um, and those are things that everybody has to decide for themselves. But I think if we're if we're just in this kind of staccato outrage on everything every day, you know, it's going to be hard uh, to get things done. So you know, sometimes I even in my own life, I'm just trying to like take a deep breath and 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 maybe take in less volume, uh, but replace that with more with more depth. You know, and I think that's something for all of us to think about moving forward. That's really well said. Um, anybody want to add anything out of that before we pivot to the next question? Okay. Now, Maria, you're thinking. I saw your eyes moving. <laughs> I was thinking. I would say, I mean, I don't know that this perspective will will be a, um, something that would help create calm. But I guess in our perspective as a project, like we, we're a bipartisan project. We've had the opportunity to work with officials who many of whom um, don't necessarily consider themselves partisan, but are really focused on on maintaining the integrity of the democratic process. And um, I think a lot of times, although we may not always know the intent behind a specific influence operation, broadly, we understand that these are trying to tear at the fabric of our democratic process and have us question democracy um, as a whole. So I think, you know, there are a lot of other issues that that should be looked at and, and are important that we're having important partisan conversations about but i do think there's a lot that has happened since 2016 to try and help keep the integrity of the election and a lot of people working to 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 do that so um yeah so i would say hopefully that's somewhat of a hopeful perspective mm -hmm. but i know uh it certainly does feel like we're under attack especially when we try to understand things like influence operations yeah i mean i i I have to tell you, as I said in the beginning, in 2018, when I watched D3P do it, that one exercise, it was one of the most hopeful things 
that I've been able to observe in a long time. And I wonder, I've tried to communicate that to the, everyone I meet, like, look, there are people who are doing really good work. So it, it is a very hopeful point. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about the aftermath of the election and, and the idea that like, we may not actually know the results in the way that we're accustomed to. This is something I think you've raised. So um, how do you think this might play out? What, what are the messages you'd want to communicate to the public about, uh, about that period? Who wants to go first, Siobhan? Sure. Um, I mean, I think the first is really to be patient. Um, mm -hmm. It's important to set expectations. Um, and the the likelihood that we will know, certainly who's won the presidential election, and probably this will be the case for many elections happening on election day, the likelihood we'll know that night or even the next morning feels incredibly low to me. Um, I, you know, I think it's success, frankly, if we know during the first week after the election, um, who who has won. And so, you know, I think that the, um, you know, the, the premium is really placed on having an accurate vote count. Um, inauguration isn't until January 20th. So we've got some time to figure it out. Um, and it is extremely important to let the process play out. Um, my concern is that that whole time lag period is going to create great opportunity for lots of people to try to gain leverage. Of course, you'll have both parties trying to gain leverage. That's expected and probably appropriate. Um, but there will also be others trying to get into the mix. And you may start seeing almost a combination of foreign adversaries who are trying to um, just create chaos, as Robbie was pointing to, preying on the fact that you all have a very contentious post-election process uh, and finding a way to insert various types of uh, disinformation, information warfare types of techniques to further explode that situation um, and just sow chaos. Because if they sow chaos, they've won. And so my, my concern is that actually that's really the period that is ripe for disinformation that creates enormous amount of societal upheaval um, because everybody's going to be kind of like, it's, it's like lighting a tinderbox that's kind of already there. And mm -hmm. so um, my hope would be that at least those who are um, in a position to convey accurate information, set expectations, things like that, that would be the media, but also other people in official positions speaking publicly, um, work to set expectations um, and and reduce, uh, you know, try to reduce, bring the heat down a little bit and have people be more patient. Yeah, Robbie, what do you think? Yeah, 100%. I, I agree. I, I think, you know, to me, we need to start from what, what, what do we value in this process, right? What's important? And two things are important. One is that everybody who's eligible to vote gets the opportunity. Um, and that means mm -hmm. that some people are going to be, you know, voting by mail. We've seen in some states where regulations have changed or even courts are intervening to say, that means uh, ballots only have to be postmarked on election day. They don't even have to arrive, right? So that's that is that is going to slow the process down uh, in some cases. But again, speed's not what's important. It's that everybody uh, gets the chance to cast their vote. Um, and then the second thing that's important is that the count is accurate, right? Um, and so again, time may just creep in and and make that process more complicated, or rather. Uh, longer and that's okay right because what what we're valuing is the accuracy and so i think everybody has a responsibility media public leaders each one of us individually even when we're just talking to folks just to really keep the focus on those two things access 
and accuracy. And I think as long as we do, all of a sudden it puts the speed element in perspective and reinforces that time doesn't mean something's wrong, as Shabam was saying. It just means we're getting it right, which is really good <laughs> and something yep. to celebrate, actually. I mean, I think that, that feels like a point that we should be communicating to folks in the media and to the public right now. Like the election may take longer than you're accustomed to. Like the most important thing is that everyone gets the chance to vote. It may take time and that's okay. Like I, I don't think that that's something that's in the average American's mind right now because we're so used to knowing at midnight or one in the morning. I mean, every election that I, in, in the last decade that I remember or however long, that's when we've known. Am, am, am right. I, am I, is this some, does this feel like something that we should be telling the world? Yeah. I think so. And I, I think we, um, we certainly see that there is a uh, desire to, to talk about this. And I think that as more public education efforts um, continue to gear up heading into the election, you will start to see that hopefully be communicated um, to just to voters and also across uh, the media. But I'm, I'm curious for Robbie and Siobhan's thoughts too. That's just the general sense from some of the conversations and, and some of the things that we're seeing in the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do you guys think that like, do you anticipate like major public leaders to start articulating this point? Well, I think, you know, we've been talking about these election officials. I actually think this um, just reinforces how important it is for them, not just to respond to incoming, but to have a strategic narrative about the election process, right? So we, and 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 actually, um, you know, we've seen a lot of this recently, right? We've seen governors, school superintendents, and others need to have a strategic narrative about how they're managing COVID, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I think election officials need something similar about, you know, again, what are our values? What do we have to get right? What is it going to take to do that? What role do we all play? And again, I think when you put all this in that context, not only is nothing wrong, but actually things are really right. And I think part of part of the hurdle that or the challenge that we need to overcome is this sense that somehow time, taking more time means something's wrong. Because in the past that, you know, in the past that has been the case. Look, it might also take a long time because it's just close. And for example, we haven't even talked about provisional ballots, right? Where um, some people show up at the wrong polling place, so there's an error in the election rolls, and they have to, you know, everyone has the right to to submit a provisional ballot that they can go back and then cure is the term to, you know, provide evidence that they were registered and so on. Sometimes you need to count those to 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 finalize the vote total. Um, and you know, a state like Arizona tends to have a lot of provisional ballots. So if the if the race is within half a point there. Uh, those provisional ballots are going to matter. That's going to take a lot of time. But you know what? If we care about, again, one person, one vote, it's important that people are taking the time to prove that they were eligible and that that, that was a proper vote and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to add to the the point about public officials speaking out, I mean, I do think that um, secretaries of state are in a, a unique position at this point in time because Typically, secretaries of state are not public officials that get a lot of attention. This is the time when they're getting a lot of attention, right? I mean, uh, there was a recent Meet the Press that had, I think, three or four secretaries of state, you know, featured. And and they were talking, obviously, about all of the things that we're talking about. Um, And in fact, it was actually there that the secretary of state uh, of of Michigan, Jocelyn Benson, uh, said, you know, we should be thinking about election week. And so I think that the more you have um, people in official positions like a secretary of state 
um, start, starting to set those expectations publicly and frequently, the better. And so, um, you know, my hope would be that you could pretty much have, you know, the secretaries of every state, <laughs> secretary of state and, or election director in, in every state, you know, kind of carrying that message because it's in everybody's interest that we kind of reset those expectations. It's an incredible leadership opportunity, right? Like these folks can stand up and, and communicate these messages right now, no matter what happens. We know we're in a period of tension. And even if even if no one intervenes, they will have done an incredible thing to calm down the population, which is like, a, you know, and of course, they, they say never tell anyone to calm down. It never works. There's this great meme that goes around, like, don't say calm down, um, but to assuage the population's concerns in advance and to establish that, that, that level of authority. Um, we're running up against time, and I want to give each of you the chance to sort of add any concluding thoughts. I know we've covered a lot of terrain, uh, and there'll be a transcript of this talk available for folks who prefer to read it. But um, uh, Maria, why don't we start with you, and then Siobhan, then Robbie? Um, sure. Well, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we we certainly hope that the Elections Influence Operations Playbook is not only a helpful resource for officials, but also for voters and um, just people who are hoping to better understand mis and disinformation and hoping to understand how they can watch out for it as we head into this election. One thought I had about what voters could do is, um, you know, when we talk to officials, we say, you, know, you might be proactively monitoring for these incidents or they're being reported to you somehow. And officials think a lot about how they're reporting these incidents of mis and disinformation to make sure that they're getting voters accurate information. So as a voter, if you are really concerned about something that seems like it's incorrect information, something you could think about is also reaching out to your local jurisdiction and, and sharing information about something that you're seeing. If you know it's a false post, if you know that something is falsifying the time or drop off information. Um, I think part of what we're getting at with the guides is that this is a network approach, uh, a community approach to best counter incorrect information. So the more that we can share correct information and count and know that incorrect information is circulating. Hopefully that's how we'll be able to tackle this specific threat. Great. Thanks. Um, I would just add, you know, to kind of to come back to where we started, you talked about sort of the the, the information or the influence operations playbook itself. Um, you know, I, I think it is one, uh, hopefully a valuable resource for election officials, um, but hopefully it's also a valuable resource for um uh, you know, officials in a, a number of these sort of critical infrastructure sort of um, industries, if you will, um, of which elections is is one, um, just because I think that what we're seeing happen in the elections arena, we're going to see in other places. Obviously, we're seeing it in COVID now. And, you know, any area where um, there is an opportunity, in particular, if you're thinking about foreign adversaries and disinformation, if there are opportunities to sow chaos, particularly in American society or Western society, you will probably be seeing disinformation soon. And so it's really wise, I think, for uh, leaders sort of across critical infrastructures to start thinking about uh, what the threats are. And the nice thing about the playbook is it gives you a structure to think about it and you can apply it to your situation. But it does call out the fact that, you know, you need a process for determining if it's a big deal and how to respond. You should do some scenario planning. This is what scenario planning looks like. And so there are some sort of broader tools that I, I, I hope are very useful to election officials, but I think are also quite useful beyond that. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I guess I'd say two things. One, for any officials out there, I hope that they find the playbook to be a helpful resource, uh, either because there's stuff in there they hadn't thought of, or as they go through it, they think to themselves, we've, we've, we've done a lot of this. And so they feel really good about that. To folks that are not officials, you know, I, as a partisan, I'm usually telling people to volunteer or contribute to candidates, get involved in the political process. And I still believe that. But this year, actually, I think it's a really important time for those who are able, and particularly younger people, I hope everybody uh, goes to uh, spend election day as a poll worker, um, because at the end, because there, there are literally, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands uh, of people needed for this process. There are never enough. That shortage is particularly acute this year. But I can't think of a better, uh, a better, more interesting way to spend Election Day than to actually be part of the process and help on a personal level to make sure that it's run well. And from there to be a messenger to other people you know, about that process. So I hope for maybe people who never even that never even occurred to them as something they would ever do in their life. I hope that they think about that and call their election official and, and volunteer to do that. That's a great point, um, Robbie. Thank you. Thanks, all of you. Um, I don't quite know how to raise this one thing that we, we talked about in advance that I remembered as you were talking. Um, the citizens of all shapes and sizes have a role to play in making sure that the that the election is is works through integrity. And and one group that I've been thinking about is law enforcement, right? Like their job is to is to protect everyone, right? It's not necessarily to protect the vote. That's the, maybe they're tasked to do that in some instances, but like. As we move towards the election, security forces of various shapes and sizes across the U.S. are going to fall under increasing amounts of stress. And I think everyone has to remember that this process is for everyone and the vote, you know, the, the vote needs to be assured um, and, and everyone's involved in, in being an active citizen. And there's, you know, we're in this period of immense strain. But I think if everybody keeps that in mind and does their best for our democracy, we'll have done our best as a country. Uh, and I really I really like all of your points very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope this was useful for you. It's a tremendous honor for us to be able to, to get your messages out there. Again, for folks that are viewing, you can see all the links. Um, we'll put all 5,000 of the products that uh, E3P has produced um, down below. There's, um, uh, there's a bunch of research that's really, really good and consumable for those of you who are state and local officials and for those of you who are just interested in the topic. We'll also list federal government resources if you want to make requests, particularly of CISA, um, the Critical Infrastructure and Security Agency, I think that's what it's called, uh, under DHS, under DHS, excuse me, and also numbers for the FBI and other institutions. If you do detect disinformation and you want to report it, um, or if you detect any kind of hacking incidents, you can scroll down and see all that information below. But for now, join me virtually in thanking these three great folks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks.